All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. You are Katie Halper. I, tis I, Katie Halper. Don't you look very, fooled. you look very bright and happy today, Katie. I, it's funny. I was just saying, don't be fooled by the glasses. I should say, <laughs> don't be fooled by my bright and happy demeanor. Inside, I'm feeling Taibianly dark. <laughs> That's funny. I actually yeah. don't feel terribly dark inside. Oh, really? Today, so, Maybe yeah, I'm, I'm still... carrying your emotional. It's energy. a body transfer movie. It's a body transfer, yeah. Right, like so, so. So who's who's in it? It's Steve Martin and uh, oh, right. Oh, who, who, who is that all other of me? act? Yeah, all of me. Right, all of me. So all right, yeah. Who will I? Not who Liv Tyler. It's it's God. Lily Tomlin. Silverstone. Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin. Yeah, because we're confusing her with Lily Taylor. Oh. That's yeah, really how did we that should start happen? this whole thing. No, all I right. like that. Liv it's, Tyler, Lily Tomlin. That's not so far off. Right. What what, what are some of the other? There, there's another. What's the Alicia Chris Rock Silver. body trans body, oh. body transfer movie? Oh, is he have a halo? Is there a halo involved? I forget, but he's like like the, the sort of soul of a of an old white dude is reincarnated in him. Oh, interesting. We should make a list of the of the best and worst body transfer movies. Yeah. Then big isn't body transfer, that's just age transfer. It's kind of a body transfer movie. I mean, Freaky I think that Friday counts. the change up. Yeah. Down to Earth. Down to Earth is the Chris Rock vehicle. Right. So we're, we're, we're in a body transfer movie. I actually I'm feeling pretty good, but look yeah. terrible. And, and, and you're, you're feeling kind of dark inside, dark, but look, yeah, look but, good. So yeah. uh, that's a good place to start the show. We have a great show. We have um, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter slash author uh, Christopher Hedges on to talk about some things that we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, <laughs> it is very apropos to have him on uh, this week. Yeah, and uh, a lot of stuff to get to. A lot of interesting news. Matt is health. Matt's health is good. People were worried. People who don't watch, who mistakenly, and maybe out of ignorance, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Who don't watch our Monday morning live show on YouTube, where we go over the Sunday morning shows. Mm. I like that for seamless. Uh, we did establish that Matt was still alive, but I guess Matt, you put out on your own Substack, and we had to put out on this podcast that you had lost your voice. So I did. Uh, I lost it. I lost it for two days there. It was yeah. pretty bad. I thought I had COVID. And... Oh, yeah. That's the other news. We didn't want to. Here's an exclusive. You you heard it here first. Learned it here first, ladies and gentlemen. We did think that Matt may mm. have had COVID. Yeah, I had to. I had to drive my drive myself to a testing spot uh, in the middle of the day. It was it was pretty horrible, but uh, mostly through it now. So so all's good. All's uh, good. And Matt yeah. did. I'm not outing you. Matt got vaccinated. I think a lot of people think you're on the because you have a principled stance on censorship. I think people some people think you're on the ivermectin train. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not taking ivermectin. No. Yeah. And and I have been vaccinated and I've repeatedly said that everybody should get vaccinated. Yeah. But all right. So lots of stuff to talk about. Should we just dive into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, for Democrats stuck this week, there look, there was a lot of stuff to choose from. But I wrote a piece about this, so why not go over material that I'm familiar yeah. with? This is this could could be either, honestly. Right. But I feel like it's more it, it's it's more of a burn on on the Democrats than it is in the Republicans. So over the weekend, uh, George W. Bush gave a speech at Shanksville, Pennsylvania, in you know in commemoration of 9/11 because it was the anniversary. It was basically every everything you would expect from a George Bush speech, except for one passage where he went to kind of a, an interesting place. And Matt, can we see that that video? 
The security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Is that a devil reference? Same foul spirit? Yeah, I mean, he's he was very big on on the whole, yeah, evangelical good versus evil, right. you know. Can, but yeah, so that it was very much bushy in language. It just brought us back to to the war on terror era. But the thing is, he's he's making a, a, a semi explicit reference to January sixth, yeah, and linking the one to the other, for which he was amply and almost immediately re rewarded by uh, blue checks across. The Twitter sphere, including yeah. uh, let's just look at a, a couple of them. Uh, here's Bill Clinton. Thank you, my friend. I can't wait. Thank you, my friend, for your powerful and much needed words on this difficult day. <laughs> kind of, I started out okay, but yeah. No, that was on good. This difficult day. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You have to do the the, the, the Clinton thumb. The Clinton thumb. Um, then, uh, then there, then there was a uh, Keith, Keith Olbermann was a was a I think an interesting Keith. one. And there it is. I can't really do him. He's just super angry and self-righteous. Yeah. And there it is. Even George W. Bush now recognizes Trump, his supporters, and those who directly participated in the 1-6 coup attempt are terrorists, surely as the 9-11 ones were. I'll say it again. Trump damaged America in a way bin Laden only dreamed of. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, but we'll yeah. get we'll get to that we'll in a minute. And then the, the then here's uh, Rob Reiner, who uh, this one was fascinating to me. All right. Let's see. What's his accent like? It's just kind of a generic. I'm not really good at these. I'm really kind of phoning it in. So maybe I should, maybe you, you, you can, want to just read them. You can't do a New York Jewish accent? Yeah, of course. In George W. Bush's speech today, he talked about the America he knew, one of compassion for Muslims and immigrants. Sadly, it's an America we know, sorry, an America we no longer have. Now the terror comes from within. We must all come together again to stand up to ignorance and bigotry. First of all, I mean, he did a whole movie about essentially bigoted response to 9-11 to once upon a time. The, the idea that that uh, George W. Bush presided over an era in which people, you know, had, had compassion for mu Muslims and immigrants. Uh, I'm not sure what America he's remembering. Uh, yeah, seriously. But, but, but that's but that's an, an interesting thing to way to put it. But the, the, the real whopper for me was the Olbermann tweet, because there, there's a whole bunch of things in there. First of all, and that film, by the way, was shock and awe. Shock and awe, right? Yeah, exactly. The 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 comparison between January sixth and nine eleven. I mean, you could have all kinds of beliefs about whether or not the folks who entered the the Capitol that day were terrorists, but we're talking about mass murder, <laughs> like intentional mass murder, uh, with the nine eleven hijackers. Yeah, uh, killing thousands of people, knowing that that's what they were going to be doing. Right. And, you know, the, the other group is suicide bomb, like su committing suicide. Bill Maher got into trouble for this, for being like, say what you will about them. They're not cowards. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, that you lost them his first show. Yeah. Yeah. 
you could mm-hmm. debate you could say well if they really believe in the after whatever but like there there's a level of commitment that they brought to it that the one sixers did not right i mean they weren't even they were showing up and taking selfies and look it it, it got completely it, out of control yeah, and it was nowhere. scary and there yeah. was violence and then it's it's nuts but but the but but that's the 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 heart of this whole thing the thing that's so scary about this is that it, you know what what bush is being praised for is for sort of blessing the idea that what this brand of terrorist is the same as that other brand of terrorist and suddenly all these people and there was a pretty long list all these people who spent the bush years complaining about this massive extrajudicial effort to demonize and target people just by labeling them something you know suddenly they're out of the woodwork and and they're fine with this new idea because you know we're gearing up for this new domestic war on terror and they like it they're they're going to be in charge of it I don't know. I thought that I thought that was crazy. It would, you know, I think it'll be something that'll be worth talking to our, our guest today about. Uh, but it seems to me like the rehabilitation of George W. Bush, which kind of began in 2017 when he started when he said some things about Trump and his art career. No one could deny his art talents. Well, the art thing, too, is a big is definitely a big factor. Yeah. yeah. But to me, it signifies something significant with the Democratic Party because they've They've kind of taken over the thought process behind the the Bush presidency, which was we just can't leave this safety, the the security situation in the hands of democracy, which is too open and too free. We have to we have to build an essentially extrajudicial secret uh, architecture within government to oversee the security situation for everybody. We're going to throw out habeas corpus and the Eighth Amendment and all kinds of other things. And suddenly that's fine. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I wh- who are all these people that I, I mean, don't you remember the Bush years and how intensely people felt about all that? It's just so, so strange. And we, of course, we, we here at Useful Idiots remember Keith Olbermann's rants, early Russia rants right. um, as being, you know, the Russia scum rants as right. being Russian, uh, right. Russian scum. Yeah the kind of early t- tone setters for that whole <laughs> that whole crazy era which of course is going to be erased from the history books is right uh is being nutty but this you know just to wrap this up the bush thing like i worry Wait, about can we this. just look at one more thing i'm sorry we just sure, have yeah. to hold on <laughs> so for those people who are just watching the show this is Wolverman draped in a flag like literally draped in a fra- flag looking kind of scary he looks miserable he looks miserable scared uh you know what that is what you you know how like when when you come out of a mass shooting or something and they put you on the back of an ambulance with a blanket around you totally yeah yeah right yeah except it's a blanket that's shaped that that's in the pattern like the american flag right which should happen after every mass shooting because they're so american Right. But maybe maybe it's not, you know, how the, the joke now is that they do that to everybody, whether it's a serious crime or not. So like mm-hmm. he's just been removed from the scene of scene of a shoplifting, for instance. Sure, right. Put yeah. in the back of a. a Which is not American. That's transcultural. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, um, and th- this GQ article is called Watch the Resistance with Keith Oberman. Donald Trump is our next president, which means Keith is not going anywhere. Catch every episode of his new GQ show, The Resistance, and then come join the fight. And at the end of his new thing, at, at the end of that show, every he's always like, resist. And he puts <laughs> his arm up like that. Like that? Really? Up. Yeah. Yeah. 
That so one there looks... he looks he looks a little bit more like a squid actually in that one. Or, <laughs> You're right. Or, or an octopus. Squid. American <laughs> octopus. It's like a right? Green Day album or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like he's trying. He, he's gliding over some rocks yeah. in, in search of prey. So the beaks in there somewhere. Yeah. It makes the other one look very macho. It's it's a little you know help me I'm lost. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Help yeah. me I'm lost and even with my eight arms I still can't manage. Right. I still can't. I still can't get out of the studio. Yeah. Yeah. But he, although octopus would be able to, they're very good at that. Apparently, they are. Did they're you know they're, that? they're, they're they fantastic escape, yeah. escape artists. Yeah, escape although, artists. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record with a piece of trivia that I bet you you're gonna get wrong. Okay, go. Okay, what animal escapes more than any other from zoos? Well, it's not gonna be the octopus, right? Because that's no. the the false the, the red herring, so to speak. Mm. Um, give me a hint. You don't believe in hint. Uh, no, I'm not much of a I'm not much of a hinter. It's too chair. It's too. You're I'll give you a hint. Okay. I, I give the, the the hint is that intelligence is not the factor. Okay, got it. Are they a mammal? Yes, it is a mammal. Not an ape, obviously. And you would think that actually orangutans are quite skilled at, at uh, right. getting out of zoos, but it's moose. Moose. Moose aren't in zoos, are they? Yeah, they are in zoos. There's moose in zoos. Why wouldn't there be moose in zoos? I don't know. Like they're not, there aren't chickens in zoos. I'm just saying not Sometimes all animals are. are in zoos. I mean, you find deer in zoos all the time. Elk. <laughs> oh, speaking of moose, Matt, was this a setup or you really did? It, it really, really wasn't. Moose? Okay. So I want, we want to give a shout out to burn to the future, burn to the future. Um, Cornell Westest who made a presenting the useful idiots moose wig party founders. Um, thank you so much for that. But um, you want to remember the bat? You want to tell me about the backstory, Matt? While I get actually another moose wig party image ready. I don't, that I don't remember the backstory. We were talking about third parties and how you had written a piece saying that we need the third parties to end the war industry, basically. Right, and I think we were talking about the bull moose party and the wigs. Yeah, and that's and how we, it ended up being yes. moose wig. Except we're not. It's not W H I G. It's right moose wig. But I like the idea. Well, someone named Boris sent me this. I like that. That's it's good, right? It says Useful Idiots Party, and it has a moose. I love that. Yeah. And it's kind, of, it's kind of Ren and Stimpy-ish. Yeah. Look at right? that shadow work, too. That is really good. I want I want that on a t-shirt. All right, let's do it. This I, want my, I want my children forced to wear that for their entire... Yeah. Uh, face, ta face tattoo. Face, face tattoo, face forehead tat tattoo. Yeah, forehead, yeah. <laughs> Maybe neck if we're feeling generous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's excellent. That's, yeah. That is really well we done. Should, who do we, we thank should. for that? Or so who that's do we thank from for that? Boris. Boris? It's just a sketch. If you like it, let me know. I clean it up. Wow. I like it that way. All, I like, also, if there's something, you if you felt like there's something missing, dreidel sequence, large color for beach balls, or Matt Taibbi's deltoid, with an MJ forever tattoo, please let me know as well. These can be worked in. What's MJ? Probably Michael Jordan, I'm guessing. Oh, right. Yeah. So this is some anonymous friend of the show. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Spasibo, Boris. Yeah. Thank you. Spasibo, yeah. Yeah. Very so cool. One final thing on the Keith Olbermann thing is, uh, remember he used to say, and he, of course, is the author of Trump is fucking crazy. Remember, he used to say it's been X number of days since uh, Bush declared mission accomplished. Right. So what Bush gave that speech in May on May 1st, 2003. So uh, how many days ago was that from today? 
Ooh, I don't know. I'm not the savant not that's going to count that. 17, yeah, 18 years times 365 days. Somebody's going to have to do that math for yeah. me. 605,070 days. But we, we, you know, don't let's not forget. I remember because I was reading, I read this in Chris Edges' book that uh, remember when Michael Moore called out Bush and when he got his Oscar? Yes. Uh, that he recounted uh, going to see the reaction on TV afterwards and watching Keith Olbermann rip him for it. Oh, uh, he was yeah. a sucker even back then. Yeah. So look, I worked for Keith. I liked Keith, uh, you know, at once upon a time. But I I, I think this, you know, to me, this is just kind of the, the Trump phenomenon. It's It's got people's brains bent uh, to the point where they're now, you know, they're not. And that's ultimately the point of this, this story is that we're willing to go all the way back to embracing all the shit that we spent the entire Bush administration protesting because we were so, you know, we dislike Trump so much, Trump and Trump supporters that much right. um, that we're willing to, to give them the treatment that uh, right. tourists got back in those days. So um, tourists, yeah. I think that's I think that's a scary story. But anyway, what do we have for a Republican sec? Wait, I got to show you last thing. I promise. Breaking news. We've come full circle to such a complete degree that on Sunday, Trump tweeted a complaint about, quote, Russia, Russia, Russia. The title of the 46th episode of The Resistance from last March 14th was, quote, Russia, Russia, Russia. I've made my point. So now that I think the outcomes, the seven different inevitable outcomes are unavoidable, I'd like to go back and enjoy some of my life again, and I'm going to. No illness, no scandal, no firing. Just, I've said what I've had to say. It was as obvious as I made it seem. I give my work everything I can, so it's not like I can dial it back. And I think even this dim-witted world of American political TV reporting, which is still calculating how to get Trump's idiot supporters to watch their networks and still waiting for Trump to pivot, even it can carry this the rest of the way. So I am retiring from political commentary in all media venues. This is not to say a bed of roses and reconciliation awaits us. The post-Trump America will be relieved of his prodigious evil, but in its place it will have Trump as living martyr. That prodigious evil and rank hypocrisy and immorality of his supporters, perhaps a third of us, will not vanish with him, and I'm not sure that the democracy has not been damaged too much to deal with their lawless, unprincipled rebellion. And I do not see this country's politics truly healing in the next 30 or 40 years. But at least the bleeding will be staunched. And we will have a chance to alter a phrase I heard somewhere to make America, America again. Thank you for all the kind words and all the support. Have fun storming the castle. My work here is done. Matter of fact, so is Trump's. Resist, remove, peace. How bizarre is that? I, I mean, wish, I hope people watch this, even if you're usually listening, so you could see Matt's face, but yeah. He looks happy, though. Well, he, because Trump was finished in November 27th, two. No, I mean, he, he, he looked like physically jazzed. I keep checking the date. I'm like, am I wrong? No, this is from November 27th. 2017 and the video was called Trump is finished the resistance with keep Oberman. Uh it sounds like he was not he did not accomplish his mission Keith. Anyway, but I liked I just wanted to show you guys the resist. Yeah. 
What is it's, it? It's 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 a, it's a little bit kind of Spock live long yeah, and prosper kind of a thing. Anyway, get get we should all just prepare for this because this is going to be the new thing like, you know, we're the tenders of the new war, war on extremism. Right. So, uh buckle up, I guess buckle for that. Up, yeah. So, what do we have for uh Republican suck? So for a Republican suck, we actually have, I'm going to go back to a Taibbi piece. Uh, this time the, the piece is going to be about uh, how 9-11 is a great time to review um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Republican hypocrisy. And it is called the anniversary of 9-11 is a great day. Don't worry, it doesn't end there. To reflect on the Republican, on Republican hypocrisy. I thought this was a great piece. I wanted to quote from part of it. So you write, I have a bit, a bit of a bone to, to, uh, to pick with you, but first let me, let me go mm-hmm. with the part that I, I think is, you know, very important to, to review. A short list of the more, and, and your premise is basically that Republicans who are freaking out about the mandate, uh, the vaccine mandate have no leg to stand on because they were terrible on civil liberties. Right. Am I am I summarizing yeah. your thesis correctly? I think yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have the author here. Do you want it? Do you want to say what it is in your own words? No, that's right. You, 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 okay. you, you got it. Yep. All right. More or maybe it's more like, well, that didn't take long. Within a day after Joe Biden announced his vaccine mandate plan, a conga line of exultant blue friendly pundits rushed to offer their hottest take hottest hot takes on the many exciting authoritarian possibilities that might now be open with government on check on the last so that's on the the blue end but on the republican end the republican party's collective response to biden's mandate uh plan reminded me of the zucker brothers take on how to deal with an with adversity in a mature and adult fashion and that's uh from uh secret top secret, top secret and a guy he sneezes talking about how important it is to be adult and then he he uh blows his nose into his hand and freaks out and jumps through a window and then you cite republican senator john thune decried an extreme government overreach arizona governor doug ducey called the vaccine mandate a dictatorial approach while a kentucky congressman denounced biden's move as absolutely unconstitutional oh and one of my favorite examples is utah's mike lee who clerked for samuel alito in the early war on terror years said Biden was a would-be autocrat. Then you go on and you remind us of the stunning hypocrisy in the list of more obscene authoritarian practices Republicans rammed into being since 9-11-2001, most of which have stuck with us in stubborn fashion ever since like venereal disease. And you say they created a new term of war, unlawful combatant, which allowed them to unilaterally opt out of both the Geneva Convention and the due process protections of American criminal law. When it came to the growing population of persons around the world not charged with anything but in our custody, they asserted the right to kidnap and remove this indefinite secret detention, any person anywhere, to to remove to this indefinite secret detention, any person anywhere in the world with or without formal charge, even American citizen, with the aid of then yeah, NSA. people forget by the way that case that was the jose padilla case and at, yeah. at, at the time um i think that was the the, the case that got glenn Rewald, greenwald into writing about politics but oh, it, it was yeah. so it was it was a huge deal because the, it, it established the precedent that they can just take a an american and just whisk right. him off to a navy base somewhere and like yeah. without a charge like anyway so Which i always thought was a little bit weird like maybe it's this lefty internationalist whatever in me that sounds self-congratulating but it's not supposed to it's so i get legally there's a difference between doing that to an american to a u.s citizen and a non-citizen and i think that's useful rhetorically to reach a lot of people 
but it's so weird to me because it's kind of like we shouldn't we probably shouldn't be doing bad things to people well no i agree with you on yeah. that totally it's, yeah. it's just that the we don't have a legal mandate not to do stuff to people who right. are yes. not in uh, like the, the, the things the things that are you know granted in the bill of rights they don't right. people who aren't american citizens aren't, don't enjoy them normally right. for right? better or for worse so it's it's for better or for worse it's consistent right uh, yeah it's it's not inconsistent to do that right now those are the you know it, grabbing somebody off the street stuffing them in a trunk and then having them end up in, in Guant guantanamo bay it probably violates lots of international laws right but, but not our own you yeah. know like but but the idea that you can do that to an american citizen was like completely new with the aid of then nsa director michael hayden who's since become a star in resistance circles they unilaterally put into service a surveillance program that mass violated the rights and privacy of every person on earth including every american and bluntly violated our own existing foreign surveillance law uh, they created a secret master list of undesirables via the establishment of a program called the terrorist screening database tsdb um, which had uh, as a subproject the infamous no-fly list. They've sensibly made assassination legal again, uh, gave themselves uh, the right to employ their new targeted killing policy anywhere in the world. And uh, they entered into agreement with telecom companies and other institutions that gave them ongoing warrantless access to the medical, educational, and communications records of millions of Americans and foreigners alike, and, and so on and so on. Republicans scarcely protested any of this until Obama got elected, and even then it wasn't Obama's acceleration of the worst excesses like drone murder that was the problem. Instead, the Democrats' public flirtation with deploying a few of these tools in unpredictable directions finally triggered the Republican Outrage Center. An early preview of what that looked like came in May 2015 when congressional Democrats in the wake of a series of mass shootings tried to deny purchases of certain kinds of firearms to people on the no-fly list. And then you write, Unfortunately, Republican complaints about such problems will be impossible to take seriously until the party repudiates its role in building the first war on terror. We didn't hear many horrified Republican objections when a CIA official boasted to the Washington Post years ago about its drone program, we are killing those sons of bitches faster than they can grow them. In fact, Republicans cheered when Donald Trump promised to bomb the shit out of ISIS and lower the standard for who could be droned from high-level militants to foot soldier jihadists with no special skills or roles. And in fact, drone murders massively increased under Trump and Republican lawmakers sure didn't seem to care much. Okay, so that's the thing, I guess, I have no expectation that they need to be morally consistent. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm very, very critical of Dems. I think that they try, they fail. In some ways, their hypocrisy is more hypocritical because they really claim not to be hypocrites and they always attribute hypocrisy to them to Republicans when it when you if you were actually to look at it the hypocrisy is there's just a confidence that the Republicans have with their uh hypocrisy that Dems don't mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. certain, like there's a level I mean sure the Dems are total hypocrites when it comes to especially the like I mean they're not even hypocrites when it comes to foreign policy stuff because they're so hawkish they've become so hawkish and they have been for a while mm -hmm. um but when it comes to domestic like class stuff they're such hypocrites you know they tried to oh, talk and talk but like but i do think that they'll be taken seriously these and they are taken seriously republican um objections to the mask mandate by their base mm -hmm. and the vaccine mandate yeah um... that's what i meant sorry the vaccine mandate yeah well whichever mandate yeah and i just think that they that like I mean, we can't, I don't take it seriously. It's obviously opportunistic and it's not guided by principle for the Republic elected officials. I mean, not like your regular Joe Schmo. I guess I don't have any 
any uh, expectation that they would be consistent either. Although, well, there's a, there's a couple of things. Number one, you know, beginning with the Tea Party movement, I, and I interviewed a lot of these people once upon a time, there was this idea that we feel betrayed by our the leaders of the Republican Party because conservative principles were not put into place during the Bush years. So they weren't complaining about the constitutional violations. They were mostly upset about the spending, right? right. So that so that started with the Tea Party movement. And then, you know, you talk to a lot of Trump supporters now and they will say that they rep- they personally repudiate the Bush years. They, f- they feel misled right. the same way that like, Obama supporters feel misled. I don't know how true that is, but it doesn't really matter. Like yeah. the, point, the, the point is after 1-6, for, for instance, it was very, very common to read kind of conservative message boards and like, uh, uh, you know, in their blogs, these complaints about being put on lists um, because there was this thing that, that started happening. People started getting pulled off planes. They had their luggage searched. If you had any kind of connection in any way to any of the people at 1-6, all these things started happening to you. Well, look, you can't complain about that stuff if you don't complain about the no-fly list and the, right. and the terror watch list, which were, which the whole point of, of why people objected to that at the time was, was that... It, it was a secret thing with no due process where you were putting people on lists and, some, and suddenly like they weren't getting into college or they were, weren't getting jobs or they weren't getting access to loans or all kinds of things. And they had no idea why. And that was just in addition to not being allowed on planes and things like that. And nobody cared back then. Republicans didn't care. So it's happening to them now. And yeah, it just rings and, totally hollow, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And but, then on the opposite side, you do have this re- embarrassing like capitulation. Well, that was, I mean, even with the no fly zone, that was an interesting moment where Dems were celebrating that. Was it John Lewis who was talking about it very excitedly? And of course- it, oh, I don't remember, yeah. did he? Yeah. And it of course had the effect of being quite Islamophobic. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. The, no, the no fly list. Yeah. But it was yeah, like I mean, celebrated as an anti-gun thing. Right. That's right. Was, yeah. yeah. Well, that was, that was later. I mean, they later. had already- they, That they was had, Obama, under Obama, right? Right. But they had they, they had already instituted the no fly list and the, and the terror watch list, which were kind of related. And then there was another thing, actually, that our previous guest, uh, Spencer Ackerman, wrote about uh, Sears, which <laughs> was a is a list for monitoring people from Muslim countries. It was I think it was 25 countries. 24 of them were Muslim countries. And then, then they just sort of added North Korea to, to make it not look completely racist. Right. That's nice. Um but, you know, there were there was just so much stuff like that that went on in the Bush years that was really just about profiling people based upon either their religion or where they came from or whatever it was. You know, there was never any objection to it because, you know, the, the at the time, um, it wasn't a concern of people, you know, in, in the Republican Party. And it, to me, to me, this is a metaphor for what's going to happen to people who in the, on the Democratic side who aren't concerned about the censorship thing now. Yeah. Because this is going to come back and bite them. them in the ass, yeah. But you know that performance after the vaccine mandate was like, was was insane. Yeah. Like, oh my God! Suddenly, we're worried about the overarching, you know, reach of government, right? Tyrannical government. Yeah. But again, you know, they're they're making the distinction that you're talking about, which is it's okay to do that to some taxi driver in Kabul. Yeah. But it's or, not okay. Or, or someone from Kabul, even in the United States, right? There's there's also a stupidity there too, right? Like. When Obama uh, droned uh, Anwar al-Awlaki uh, and his 16-year-old son, 
uh, who were, you know, Awalaki was an American. Uh, he was in Al-Qaeda, but he was an American right. citizen. But that was like a massively significant legal moment because here's the United States government is sort of executing an American citizen without yeah. trial. Again, they should have been more, there should have been people who were at least thinking, you know, down the road, what, what a crazy precedent, Yeah. you know, um, if they can do that uh, to, to him, then they can really do that to anybody legally. And instead of that, it was because this guy was somebody they did, they disliked intensely yeah. because, because he was Al Qaeda. Like they didn't, they didn't think about the legal aspect of it. Right. It is like you're saying kind of like within one, six people, right? Like who, like, or with Trump, which you mentioned in, in your piece, in this piece, or is it your Bush piece where you talk about how Dems, uh, you know, got on board with all sorts of uh, violations of due process with Trump? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the, the the rating of Trump's lawyer's office it should have freaked out anybody who has ever been through the criminal justice system. Like if they can raid the the office of the president's lawyer. Um, and, I, and I get that there's an argument for why that was legal, because when your your attorney breaks the law, then they suddenly that privilege no longer applies. Right. But it's still, it was, it was kind of a thin argument to mm -hmm. me. And, and again, the, the idea that they can do that to a president means of course they can do that to some low Popper. level. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, so that's, so that's freaky, but nobody cared, you know, yeah. nobody, nobody cared about any of that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, the Republicans are tough to take, you know, when, when they start talking about the principled objection to, you know, this or that authoritarian policy. I, I don't think I knew this until I read your piece. You write, we also didn't hear Republicans demanding. I knew about the forced rectal refeeding, mm. but I didn't know about this. We also didn't hear any Republican, hear Republicans demanding hearings when a Guantanamo prisoner had to appear for hearings seated sideways on a special pillow, his insides wrecked from years of rectal refeeding, since it was apparently okay with the bulk of the party's leaders that being in American custody now means having to submit to ritual sodomy in order to have uh having no right to trial jesus christ yeah i knew about yeah. that practice but i didn't know that there was someone like did that get any coverage that someone was it, got, it was sideways? actually it was in a new york times piece um believe it or not wow. and and the the reporter did a great job of of digging all that stuff the reporter did a great job of of uh, even i went there yeah of of uncovering all, all all of that material but it was it was presented in a story that kind of buried the lead a little bit like hmm. you know when when you have person systematically anally violated to the point of injury like over a period so of years awful. it's it that's like that should be a bla blazing page yeah. one headline right and they kind of you know it was it was in like the fifth paragraph or something like that and even though the, the reporter did a great job but yeah. um but it, it didn't you know like a lot of the stuff in the war and terror years it was just like well it's happening somewhere over there but whatever yeah you know yeah different time zone snooze as james adomian once said yeah and we i mean we we don't have time to get into this but we should mention it because it's so terrible maybe we can talk about it with chris but you know the whole last strike drone strike that america engaged in oh my goodness so yeah. he executed an aid worker mm -hmm. who in afghanistan he was transferring water right into his car right right and his kids came out to to drive, see him yeah and we lied about it there's and a really good thing on that in the times yeah and again that's that's a kind of a rare uh, 
example of reporters kind of following up on this stuff. Somebody called for an investigation uh, when there was the Wall Street Journal called for an investigation into into, but you know, a little late. You know what I mean? Like we've been doing this for since two thousand and two or three or something along those lines. You know, suddenly we we were getting morals about doing this stuff. We've been we've been doing this all over the world. Right. Um, we have bases for this all everywhere. And his name was Amari Amadi. Right. And this is another Michael Hayden thing, because, you know, one of the things that they do is they Hayden once said we kill based on metadata. So a lot of times what they're, what they're doing is they're they're um, keying out on a cell phone. They have a cell phone number and, you know, they send the drone off. The drone identifies the, the location of the cell phone and, you know, boom. But a lot a lot of things can happen even in the in the time between launching a missile and impact, which is how so many children end up getting killed in these things. You know, they still constantly talk about their, the capability for, you know, for surgical strikes and that, that sort of thing. So this was uh, just so, so typical. Yeah. And it just, it's so, I mean, it shouldn't happen to anyone, obviously, but it's just so, it's so rich. It's so ironic that he was a 14 year employee of nutrition and education international a U.S. NGO that fights malnutrition, and he helps start up soy factories, repair machinery, transport his colleagues, and distribute food from his Corolla to displaced Afghans. Uh, I, I interviewed one uh, the relatives of a um, an imam in Yemen, whose entire purpose was to try to convince people who were in jihadist groups to sort of mollify uh, and moderate their their tactics mm -hmm. and we blew him up in, in a drone strike because because of a series of mistakes right you know you can only imagine how that how that is received by people right. on the ground right like they see that and they think well what wouldn't i do to oppose people like that right you know so that's like the exact opposite mm -hmm. effect very um, frustrating and his brother and his children surrounded the car so Right. He was driving a, what is the Toyota Corolla? Yeah. Right. And they came in, he drives into the driveway and I think the kids came out to meet him. Yeah. They had a thing yeah. where they would like turn the car. They had like a, they would do this thing where they would get into the front seat to turn it. But what yeah. Can you, what can you say? Right. Yeah. So awful. And for, and this is rich too, four days before Amadi was killed, his employer had applied for his family to receive refugee resettlement in the U S at the time of the strike, they were still waiting approval. Remember, the Obama was the one who uh, introduced the nickname Terror Tuesdays because they 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 used to have those meetings on, on Tuesday mornings to decide who, who was going to get blasted and who wasn't by by drones. It's just the idea that you would have a joking name for these meetings where you're yeah. blowing people up. And it, not only are you doing it, but you're pretty regularly screwing up and killing innocent civilians and to, to boot. I don't know. It's... Yeah. And this one, this included, uh, I guess, seven children. Mm -hmm. So 10 civilians, including seven children, which again, should just be all over mm. the headlines. Like so, when, what day did this happen? It was over the weekend. Was and... this mentioned on the Sunday morning shows? Yeah. I'm not sure. No, this was, this was a couple of weeks ago that it happened. Yeah. And, and remember they initially reported like there were no civilian casualties and then it came out the monday after and his daughter says at first i thought it was the taliban when she saw it anyway all right, all right how do so, we move on from that yeah let's, let's, that let, could let, be let, our let, isn't that let, terrible too yeah let, let's do something so so for isn't that weird 
again, there were, there were a lot of uh, good candidates this week, but I think we should just watch this Alex Jones rant and look, sure. people That's are going fun. to preemptively, they're going to, as you just point out that I'm going to take, take uh, a bullet or two here on this one because it's about ivermectin and I've written about this this topic and we can clear up what that was all about in a second but it, here's Alex Jones showing that he hasn't actually lost his crazy skills uh, his, or I guess you would say lost his crazy fastball over the years still he's, still, he's still throwing 98 uh, when it comes to that stuff so let's uh, let's let's watch this this thing which was pretty impressive care people overhead shot please. You know what this is? This is ivermectin for humans that won a Nobel Prize as an antiviral. And this is inhalable, or these are the tablet steroids. So let me show you. I was gonna do this anyways earlier. See this? See this, Fauci? You see this, Bill Gates? I'm gonna kill those prions, you bastard murderers. You're gonna hit me with a bioweapon, you monster. You wanna suppress me? You wanna kill me, you son of a bitch? You goddamn demon? You think I'm easy to kill? Goddamn demon. Think I'm gonna roll over to your crap? Is that a, is that a beer? Or Joe Rogan kicked your murdering ass too. You'd love to bury him too, you little monster maggot. He's in this National Geographic piece about, oh, I don't usually deal with my enemies right away. I get them later. Yeah, you creep up on with a poison injection, dressed up in a lab coat, you little Joseph Mingala, Nuremberg code violating monster. Nobel Prize winning for humans. 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 What, 2005? Nobel Prize winning for humans. Oh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. He went and drank the horse pace. He's stupid. I bet he got it from Alex Jones. They're both so dumb. They're both going to be dead. Yeah, that's why Joe's worth like $300 million. Yeah, he's real stupid. That's why he lives in a $60 million house on the river. You left this taking all the shots and dying are the dumbasses. He's the one that headlines with Dave Chappelle. Not you. You're stupid. And I sure wish you'd wake up. But you sit there calling me stupid, an independent media person that built the biggest independent media operation in the world that changed the whole paradigm with my badass listeners, and you sit around and laugh at us? Medical doctors gave that to me. It is incredible. It helped my family. It helped me. It helped everybody. And it's approved for humans for all sorts of viral stuff. But that murderer Fauci doesn't want you to know because he wants the planet for himself, and he wants you dead. Well, guess what, Fauci? We ain't rolling over and dying so easily, you little murderer. Oh, my God. That was amazing. He, you got to admit, he's got broadcast skills. He does. He has pizzazz. Yeah. He has that je ne sais quoi. Yeah, seriously, we need to start broadcasting more like him. I mean, it's almost to... like they like they had to have injected. That's like, that's not even amphetamines. That's like something like a cross between bull semen and Maybe it's a combination of ivermectin. <laughs> right. Maybe it's like synergistic. Maybe. <laughs> but man that is amped up to the like nth degree yeah i mean ivermectin just to cl clarify i got i lost like 100 subs on my youtube channel because i had on uh dr adam uh gaffney who is very measured in his approach he's like don't we shouldn't shame or mock people who uh don't get the vaccine you know we got to get people to take the vaccine he's very much opposed to that like embarrassing idea that we turn people away for treatment um, like Jimmy Kimball joked about, but apparently there was actually a Washington Post piece that suggested that, like, in all seriousness. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, ivermectin is treatment. It's not a vaccine. So, right. you know, uh, but but also it's like Adam was saying this, like, things can be healthy and not prevent or even work on certain things. Like, water is healthy. 
You know what I mean? Or they like, could be harmless. I think that's harmless. Probably, yeah, they yeah, can yeah. be harmless. The ivermectin thing uh, uh, is. It drives me nuts because I, I actually could not give less of a shit about this topic, yeah. but I've ended up having to write about it. not having to write. About it. I have ended up writing about it like three times, you know, mainly because of the they censored it out. And then because of this recent thing where, where there was this screw up about a where they were reporting a story about people were overdosing to in such huge numbers that they were blocking gunshot victims from getting treatment in Oklahoma hospital which turned out not to be true but again with the thing with ivermectin you can say the thing that's true about it which is that the fba fda strongly recommends against using it that there's basically no real solid evidence that it works uh either as a prophylactic or as a treatment for symptoms for covid like the, the overwhelming consensus is that it doesn't work right However, there's 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 a few things here and there that are that are true about it, right? And you should be able to concede that yeah. without without triggering this massive, you know, response in media. Like you know, the thing that the thing that um, Alex Jones is yammering about there about the Nobel Prize winning, you know, yeah. to, like that is actually true. They, yeah, they, it they, is. Yeah. So so the, when you when you just deride it as being horse paced. Yeah. I, I think what ends up happening is that people see that and then they say, well, they're lying. Why are they right, lying exactly. to me? And then they're going to be more likely to go and take horse paste. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yes, it, it's it, counterproductive. Yeah, no, Alex, Alex Jones is is something. Yeah, he's the camera I, loves him. The, does the, yeah, I get the camera does love him. actually. I mean, love hates him. <laughs> right. Because he right. kind of just looks like a he looks like a commanding goblin. To use right. a kind of phrase, well, he uses the term goblin a bunch, not commanding, but he's like a goblin. He, you want to use keep the watching. word goblin a lot? Oh yeah, he told me Hillary Clinton was a goblin. Really? Yeah. Were you on his show? Oh no, God no! I'd love to be. Alex, call me. No, I ran into him in Cleveland. I've shown you that video. Oh, that's RNC. right. Yeah. Right. He's like, right, we're not right. going to roll over. He's right. so good on his feet. I'm like, hi, how are you doing? Are you enjoying yourself? Because I didn't plan it. I just ran into him. So I didn't have my quest. So I was stalling. I was like, hi, how are you enjoying yourself? He's like, yeah, I was, I'm enjoying myself. I, I always enjoy resisting tyranny. <laughs> I was enjoying resisting tyranny. That's it. He's on message like in, ten, in like three seconds, right? Oh, my God. And I was like, what, who do you prefer, Trump or uh, Hillary? He's like, well, Hillary's a lying goblin. Nice. And then he said, I was like, any reservations? He's like, well, I don't like the whole torture thing, but at least he's honest about it. Hillary's a goblin who's going to piss all over the world. Goblin piss. <laughs> Try forget <laughs> <the> ivermectin. <laughs> no, if you drank goblin piss. Goblin piss, piss yeah. <laughs> this helps me. This helps a lot of people. Maggot. <laughs> Dr. Mangala. Oh my God, he hates Fauci. I mean, Fauci is not. I'm mad. We got to do an episode on this. I mean, it's just, it's the Dems are not, Biden is not doing everything he could to help get people vaccinated in other countries. That's bad for the American citizen. That's just good for COVID, bad for people. Well, that's one of the big problems I have with, actually, I don't have a problem with the mandate, right. theoretically. It's the, the way that they've done this is it suggests to me that they're not really serious, right? Like right. If, they, if they really wanted to, to if they were desperately focused on eradicating the disease for American citizens, especially with the idea of new and dangerous variants coming yeah. in, 
All you have to do is like, you know, wave your hand and say, go with God, make generics. Yeah. And every other country in the world would take care of that problem by themselves. Yeah. And we wouldn't even have to give them anything. All we'd have to do is, but they won't do that because they, they've got like a favor. They got to keep. So disgusting. So right? we should join forces with the, with the people who hate. We should join forces with all those Republicans. Call out Biden for different reasons. Get the get the and then use that to expose him on the real problem, which is the patent stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we're going to do it. It is outrageous. And it just gives we got to hold them hostage. We got to say, Biden, if you don't do this. We are going to unleash this knowledge on your enemies on the right, and they'll really go crazy, not because they'll really care about the they will care if, if we show See, I don't want to make their argument for them, but it is, it's talk about hypocrisy. Like oh, it's, yeah. it, it, totally, you're totally making yourself vulnerable to criticism because it, as you said, if you really cared about it, you'd be racing to get everyone vaccinated. Right, right. The problem is people who are anti-vax don't want to advocate that. If they had the intellectual discipline, they could use it just to say, well, either way, they're being inconsistent and hypocrites. We got to come up with some working papers on this, a bipartisan. Yeah. It really is disgusting and disturbing, though. Like they don't take it that seriously, or they take it seriously, but not as seriously as their what? As their the favors that they owe. Yeah, you know, Moderna and AstraZeneca and whatever. And and, and look, the the pharmaceutical industry is is very nervous about this whole situation because the precedent that theoretically it could set. Well, like where where do you draw the line? Like, oh, it's really we really need to allow generics in this yeah. case. Well, don't we need to also do yeah, that do. for yeah. you know? river blindness right. and AIDS yeah. and a million totally other things. It's so, it's so fucking craven. Right. What can we do? I don't know. We gotta get, figure this out in a couple of episodes. We don't have a lot of time. Yeah. We need to let, I want to put those like Pfizer, Moderna, all those guys, the people who are making it impossible for people to get vaccinated in other countries easily. Right. Mm -hmm. They need to live in one of the villages where people have not had access. Just plop them, Probably. just drop them right there. Yeah, yeah. Or we stand outside their houses with, well, not a rat, because that's the labor stuff. So what's what's going to be our symbol of death for COVID? A bat? Because I think it's bat related, right? We don't go back a to bat that or climate a pangolin. change. Yeah. Oh, yeah, pangolin. That's great. That's a great. We need a blow up pangolin. We do and need we a blow up pangolin. We should have a we should have a massive uh, metallic pangolin pangolin that uh, we could drive to Washington, like an armored one. <laughs> we should. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll be shooting armored. Yeah, that's really good. And we'll shoot with flames we'll shoot coming COVID. out of its eyes. We'll shoot yeah. COVID pellets at them. <laughs> and at the at the at the and all the politicians blocking the vaccine. Uh, I actually just, would take out. I would take out the big pharma guys first before mm. I take out the anti-vaxxers. When I say take out- Hello, 911, there's, there, there's a giant armored pangolin outside my house shooting COVID pellets at me. Uh, well, are you prepared to uh, allow for generics? Right, exactly. All right, I relent. Um, I don't know. I mean, but you know, in, in, in seriousness, there's a, um, you know, <laughs> like this, this, this is why the whole like neoliberal project is fucked because it's stuck between you know, being married to, to certain models of how we deal with things like, you know, I'm, I'm no, I'm not a socialist, but I think yeah. there's, cer there's certain things that you just can't make 
a purely market. market there's no way to to morally deal with mass disease through purely through market mechanisms it just doesn't yeah. work you know and it um, works for so few people like how many people actually benefit from this system with healthcare especially it's just such a small number well this is the whole law of consequent uh, you know concentrated benefits and and uh distributed consequences or whatever it is like the, this whole idea that it, if there are a few people who benefit they're going to lobby very specifically right. to get their thing but if so but if it's disgusting. the 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 damage is spread to everybody they're not likely to rally together um, right you know, we're not organized yeah, we need exactly. to be though also so, penguins are so hideous they are they're like they're like possums that with scales yeah you know what i feel bad that i said that because look at this hold on it's, it's kind of cute. cute it is what do you think? i don't know to me it looks like a, a rat made it with a pine cone yeah. <laughs> a rat and a pine cone yeah a pine rat all right well that is weird so or isn't that terrible what do you have or isn't that terrible here's what i got ready a twitter user insulted a german politician police then raided his house it was 6 a.m. when six German police officers came knocking on the door of a Twitter user in Hamburg. What sparked the investigation? A tweet he wrote in June calling a German official a crude term that refers to male genitalia. Uh, the raid Wednesday came a little over three months after he replied to a tweet from Andy Grote, the interior and sports minister for the city of Hamburg, describing him as a pimmel. It, a pimmel, by the way, they don't translate it really, but a German friend. It's, a, it's like a willy. Yeah. How do you know that? I don't know. I've heard that. That's exactly what, what he we said it was like, a willy. Yeah. Mm. Um, so they showed up. It's, uh, not, it's not even like schlong or, or right, dick or anything like right. that. It's, so, it's, a, it's a, yeah. We should put pimmel in the translator to see what it sounds like to make sure we're, we're pronouncing correctly. Because he called him a willy, uh, he was... Could, he can be punished under a section of the German criminal code, uh, but I think the the police response or the security response was a bit overkill, and it backfired, and then it launched the hashtag Pimmelgate. Love it. it okay, so here's a quote from German professor Jeanette Hoffman. Um, uh, it is arguably actionable, that kind of invective against politicians, but this house search caused a lot of protest. Lots of people saw what this person wrote as completely harmless compared to what you find on the internet and all the death threats, particularly against minorities and women. This is this is laughable. It's uh they apparently the things that like the, the way you could they have a lot more aggressive laws than we do in Germany about speech. Um, you know, Holocaust denial is a crime. I guess calling your elect calling someone a pimmel is also a crime. They've also instituted lots of new measures since the the pandemic started. But uh, I'm sorry, any country that allows you to send police through your door for for calling a politician a willy. Yeah, uh, what kind of is, willies do that? Yeah, that that's that's like a ten on the on the lameness scale, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty bad. That politician, I he deserves oh, that label. That we should have like there should be art. Of him as a pimmel he, sh he should have he should have to he should have to wear like a, a the rubber scarlet pimper what is it the scarlet there's a scarlet letter but isn't there the no pimper the scarlet pimpernel was a hero yeah so he should be the scarlet pimmel but it bad right yeah i just I, I think he should have to wear like a little 
willy like on, right. on, on the front of his face forever scarlet what about i'm just trying to throw in scarlet pimmel some somehow get that in there P pimmer pim pimmer nell pim pimmel cup like a pim's cup uh -huh. pimmel cup. that sounds like a condom though or something yeah it does pimmel cup that's, what a that's, dick what a dick that's what they should have called him i don't know how you say dick in german but honestly pimmel is too soft <laughs> so to speak so to speak yeah no right. pun intended or maybe intended yeah yeah but that is ridiculous Come on, I, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess that that politician was contacted some during yeah. some time during that process, and if he didn't intervene to say please don't fucking yeah. do this, I'll, I'll look like the world's Willie biggest story. idiot. Yeah, yeah like Leave my Willie out of this. Like if he if if he even just assented to this, right? He's he's Complicit. on on today's list of the world's biggest assholes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, free Willie. That would be a good. Uh, meme also for it right free pimmel free pimmel yeah we could have the the german version right yeah. except pimmel, it wouldn't yeah. it, it wouldn't be a killer whale it would what would it be like a le an eel or a leech <laughs> yeah like a really small eel yeah <laughs> so we got to have the pimmel guy the guy who tweeted out the pimmel thing we want to have you on along with the guy who created the penis sculpture they both speak penis to power uh all right well all that right. was uh the four food groups and we have a great uh interview coming up uh with uh author pulitzer prize winning journalist chris hedges uh friend of show yeah are you excited kid i'm so excited and also he's going to tell us a bit about his upcoming book our class trauma and transformation in an american prison you can follow him on twitter at chris lynn hedges and you can find his writing at sheerpost.com. Chris Hedges, welcome back to uh, Useful Idiots. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. We wanted to have you on for a bunch of reasons this week, but in particular, in the wake of 9-11 and the sort of rehabilitation of George W. Bush, I want to read something that you wrote uh, at the end of Bush's presidency. Uh, first, the, the Gilbert and Sullivan charade of statesmanship played out by George W. Bush and his enabler Condoleezza Rice as they wander the Middle East is a fitting end to seven years of misrule. Uh, despots stripped of power are transformed from monsters into buffoons. One half expects to see him standing up, stand up at the next president's inauguration and screech, I'm melting, I'm melting as he sinks into a puddle of slime. But he's back now. So how did that happen? Like he, oh, he, that he, sounds he, like Matt Taibbi. I know it does. It does sound like I was like, are you sure? Maybe you I was, maybe I was inspired. Pieces? Maybe I maybe I just read something Matt wrote and yeah. but I could be cute and funny, too. Uh, that's pretty rare for me. I don't even remember that. No, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> Oh, it's not just Bush, you know, it's the recycling of all of the, let's call them for what they are, war criminals uh, that uh, carried out these preemptive wars and eviscerated our civil liberties. And uh, it, it's, a, it's the whole collection of monsters uh, in both administrations, by the way, Obama is not in any way immune from this. Uh, and so all of the critics, uh, myself being one, uh, and you know, what, what was I think galling for me about 9-11 is that I wasn't just a critic. I'd spent seven years in the Middle East, uh, had been the Middle East bureau chief for the New York Times. I'd spent months of my life in Iraq. I speak Arabic. I should probably use the past tense, but I spoke Arabic because 
I didn't parrot back the dominant narrative, all these quote unquote experts who really were culturally, linguistically, historically illiterate uh, about the Middle East uh, and propelled us into what I would argue is the greatest strategic blunder in American history, uh, were given uh, perches and, and amplified Thomas Friedman. Thomas Friedman actually had been in the Middle East, but like Wolf Blitzer, who used to work for APAC and the Jerusalem Post, right. uh, had long ago decided which quote unquote side he was on. Yeah. And, and, and so there's, just, there's a complete continuity. So the uh, rehabilitation of George Bush is not surprising. Uh, he, he's just part of a long line of uh, people, I mean, John Bolton, the rehabilitation of John Bolton, of all people. But as you have written, Glenn and others have written extensively, these are the only voices we hear, Brennan, um, Crystal, David Petraeus, God help us. Uh, that's it. Yeah, he was, he was everywhere during yeah. the Afghan stuff. It was yeah. amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. Those are the only voices you're allowed to hear. And if you, even if you come, like I do, out of a background of the Middle East, uh, if you don't spew back what it is the ruling elites want, uh, then you're shut out. You're completely shut out. So, so yeah, Bush, uh, who, as you pointed out in a recent column, is uh, the architect in many ways of the unraveling of both internal civic life and the disastrous, futile, endless wars uh, that have plagued the country for the last two decades. But, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that we've now split the country really into two camps. And it's not a Republican Democratic Party divide. It's a divide between oligarchy and autocracy. So you have many Republican and Democratic oligarchs or people who serve the interests of the oligarchic elite, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the old establishment wing of the Republican Party, the Bush family, uh, Mitt Romney. All of these figures are now united against a rising autocracy. Uh, that's the real political divide in the United States. You have a great piece that you just wrote at uh, Sheer Post, right? The evil we do is the evil we get. Could you set that up, set up that piece? Because at the opening of it, you talk about being in New York City on September 11th and how it was actually in some ways uh, familiar to you. Sure, because this is the way we communicate. Huge explosions and death above a city skyline. That's how we have communicated for decades. In 1965, when then Defense Secretary Robert McNamara uh, begins the bombing campaign north of Saigon, which eventually leaves hundreds of thousands of uh, Vietnamese civilians dead. He calls it a form of communication with Hanoi. I was in the first Gulf War. I watched the waves of B-52 bombers strike uh, Iraqi installations in Kuwait and in southern uh, Iraq. I was in Gaza and have watched uh, American-made F-16s uh, piloted by uh, the Israelis, uh, take out hold blocks of refugee camps. That is how we communicate with the rest of the world. And the hijackers learn to communicate back to us in the language we taught them. So when I saw the, that devastation, it was familiar as somebody who'd spent two decades on the outer reaches of empire. Uh, and, uh, and so 
that was, of course, lost uh, on most of the public uh, at the moment who drank deep from that very dark elixir of nationalism. And the flip side of nationalism is, of course, always uh, racism. Uh, and that was lost. There were two things uh, I thought that were lost at that moment. One was that, that, that this is how we communicate with the rest of the world. And they learned how to communicate back to us in the same language. And the other were the jumpers. Um, so I was in Times Square. I was one of the this brief uh, interregnums when I wasn't overseas. I would go back overseas after 9-11. I was based in Paris and covered Al-Qaeda in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, but I was in Times Square right after the second plane hit. Uh, and I was actually uh, early. So I walked into the New York Times newsroom, grabbed a cell phone and some notebooks and walked down the West Side Highway, was actually there when people were running uh, from the collapse of Building 7. Immediately, uh, when the people were jumping before the towers collapsed, that was censored out of live news broadcasts. So you had some estimates are up to 200, but certainly dozens of people who leapt to their death in an act of mass suicide. Hmm. And that mass suicide just didn't fit the narrative that both the media and the ruling elites were propelling, which was uh, stories about heroic rescues and uh, the, the virtues of America. And so that mass death and that mass suicide uh, had to get converted uh, into, in essence, an uplifting kind of uh, narrative about first responders who, of course, would many of whom would come down with cancer. I mean, okay. I was only down there for 24 hours. And then because I speak Arabic, I was sent to where all of the hijackers had lived to interview their neighbors, people who to try and build profiles on them to the extent that we could. They were in Patterson, New Jersey and other places. But the toxic fumes were all of uh, all of the reporters and photographers who had been there came back to the news and we were all hacking because it was these carcinogens, not just fuel, but asbestos and all sorts of other stuff uh, that was uh, in the air. But I would say those two, uh, the failure to understand that um, this has long been the way we communicate with the rest of the world, and then the inability to accept the deep despair uh, and fear and hopelessness that drove dozens and dozens of people to leap to their deaths, um, that those things just were too unpalatable for the American public. And of course, Christine Todd Widman at the EPA uh, said that it was safe to be down there. Well, sure, and they wanted they wanted everybody to go back as fast as they yeah. could. Right. That, that's, you know, that's something, by the way, that we see in the Middle East. I mean, I was there for the highway of death. Uh, this yeah. was the Iraqi convoys that were fleeing Kuwait City. I actually had was with the Marine Corps. Had, we had fought in the last tank battle north of Kuwait City uh, the night before. And then I was, although I was in a Marine Corps uniform, drove my Jeep down what was the highway of death as uh, thousands of Iraqi soldiers were retreated. It was one of these surreal moments of war where I'm in American uniform alone in a car driving past thousands of Iraqi soldiers. Uh, but then that got obliterated. And what was interesting when I went back up there is that all these vehicles were coated with this fine white dust from uranium depleted weapons. And then of course they sent service members in there to clean it up and you know, most of them got sick. Like, yeah. Along with the, the burning, the, the dumps uh, that where they burn huge numbers of 
military uh, supplies and send off toxic fumes. So the sacrifice, the ruling elites are, despite all their rhetoric, are quite willing to sacrifice uh, both their soldiers, Marines, and their first responders uh, without much uh, qualm of conscience. Did it feel different to see it on your own, like, territory? Well, I would say, you know, when the buildings collapsed, it was a kind of moonscape. It, and it was just hard to digest. It was so surreal. I mean, the, when the buildings went down, you could reach up and pull out, for some reason, paper. I don't know, there was some, must be some explanation for this. But there was lots of paper that hadn't burned. But you could reach up and pull out a piece of paper, and it was from the 68th floor. And then two feet down, you could pull out a piece of paper, and it was from the 20th floor. It had all had gone down like an accordion. And then there were bits of small, tiny bits of human flesh all over the place, uh, including at one point a shoe with a foot in it and stuff. So it was clear that nobody had survived because at that time there was still hope that somehow uh, first responders would find people in the rubble. But for those of us who were there, it was immediately evident that nobody with, who were in the buildings when they went down had survived. It was impossible. So, you know, it's the, sh it's the shock. I had I don't think I ever saw that kind of industrial devastation. I had been in Sarajevo, but even then, it built, and buildings would get taken out. But here, everything, it was so vast. Even given my experience, it was kind of hard to process. Chris, you're one of the few people who reported on the Iraq war without being embedded. I was just wondering if you're, what you're, and I know you wrote once that war is always reported through the prism of the occupiers and that you know, this, this, this becomes a failing of embedded reporters because they only see what the, what the occupiers see. I was wondering what your thoughts were on the occasion of the, the end of the Afghanistan war, because so many people seem surprised by the rapidity with which, you know, the rest of the country, quote unquote, fell uh, to the Taliban, which seems like a mistake that people could only make if they were living in a very, very small bubble uh, over there and, and had no connection at all to reality. Uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on, on the coverage of all that uh, as, it un, as it unraveled. I, I'm a little forgiving to the reporters and photographers who were in Afghanistan and as the Iraqi conflict heated up in Iraq, because it was just too dangerous to travel with the Sunni insurgency in Iraq or the Taliban. You couldn't do it. And I actually think that there should be reporters and photographers who are embedded in a conflict. The problem is you see a very narrow window of that conflict at, through, as you said, the eyes of the occupiers. That's the first problem. The second problem is that you don't see the effects of the weapons. Um, a lot of these high-tech weapons, you're looking at infrared screens, there are little dots, there's an explosion, the little dots don't exist anymore. But if you're embedded, you're not going to go see the carnage that's been visited. And given the, the massive ordinance of Hellfire missiles or anything else, uh, there's always tremendous collateral damage. That, and then also the problem with being embedded, and the reason I wouldn't do it ever, I've never done it, is that you occasionally will see things. For instance, colleagues of mine were at checkpoints where families came too close and they were all shot and killed. Uh, but if they report that, they're instantly de-embedded. They're, they're out and they know it. So it's that lie of omission. And I just never wanted as a war correspondent, I didn't need the military. I had more experience in war than 
the military, with the exception of the Vietnam vets, perhaps. I spoke the language. Um, and I just, I wanted to be a reporter. And if I couldn't be a reporter, I was going to go home. So that was a personal choice. I covered the war in El Salvador for five years. And that was a very interesting conflict because uh, reporters and photographers traveled with the army and the FMLN, literally switching sides, sometimes within days, between clashing units, very rare. And so it's a question of honesty. And by the time the conflicts became intense in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, those reporters and photographers, uh, you know, most people who cover war uh, don't really want to go anywhere near combat, which is a very rational, insane response to combat. I get it, except you shouldn't be there. Uh, you shouldn't. Uh, you, they're, they're, they kind of pretend at being war correspondents. And I mean, one of my favorite moments in the first Gulf War was Schwarzkopf having these briefings in a five-star hotel in Riyadh and all of the press wearing camouflage uniforms uh, sitting in the front row before they then trotted off to the hotel buffet. So it was all, it, when, it, when I covered the war in Salvador, it was only about 10 or 15%. Photographers, by the way, are more honest because they have to get out. So if you look at camera people and right. photographers in terms of uh, fatalities and in terms of people who are wounded, they're, they're a far higher percentage than print reporters who can go to the embassy and get a handout. And uh, I would say, you know, about 15% of us, including photographers and camera people, got out. And the rest of them wanted to pretend that they were covering a war. That's true in every conflict I've ever covered. So when you had the pool system set up in the first Gulf War, it was administered not by the military, but by the press, the Judenraten of the press, the Wall Street Journal. I got their names. They know who they are. And that's and they did the and you know why they did the work of the military? Because they didn't want to go out. They were right. quite happy to have the restrictions. And so that does characterize the vast majority of the press in war zones. And, and, and the problem is for those of us who do go out, they make war on us. So for instance, I wasn't abiding by the pool restrictions in the first Gulf War and all of the other New York Times reporters who were sitting in a five-star hotel rewriting pool copy, which is garbage, because they just take you on a dog and pony show and show you you know, how Marines can't wait to storm into clouds of sarin gas. And we all thought we were going to get hit with gas, which is why when I went in the Marines, the Army hightailed it around and did that hook around into Saudi Arabia and left the Marine Corps to deal with what they thought were going to be dumps of artillery shells, uh, which all had gas in them. And he did have it. But they made war on us. So all the other reporters of the New York Times wrote the foreign editor of the New York Times and said that I was ruining their relationship with the military because I was going off. Well, what I was doing was filing original stories that they didn't have because I went out and defied the rules and reported it. But I had great animus, not only among the military, and I was eventually arrested and they took my, seized my credentials. I said, take them. I don't use them. I don't need them anyway. Uh, mm. But also from within the New York Times itself. And I was only saved. Uh, by R.W. Apple, who was this Falstaffian kind of figure, but who had been in Vietnam. And, and it, Johnny, his name was Johnny, we called him Johnny. He did, he was a good writer and he did care about the craft of journalism or the trade of journalism is a better term. And he protected me, he called all, when the, he, they didn't clear the letter with him. And when New York got back to him, he called everyone together and gave them a dressing down and said, we don't work for the U.S. military. And he mm -hmm. saved me. But if he hadn't been there, I'd have been out. Uh, mm -hmm. So that that is an important characteristic to understand in the coverage. And because most of the press 
And again, I would again make the exception for the photographers and camera people. Most of the press is pretty weak kneed, pretty, uh, they get to put on a uniform, ride around in a Humvee, and uh, they uh, drool all over the military who are real men because they're not, because, uh, you know, they went to Brown University and I mean, wherever they went, what? Whatever Ivy League school they went to before they got to the Washington Post. Yeah, I mean, they used to drool all over Schwarzkopf. I mean, they, you go back and read this coverage. You would have thought this guy was Napoleon. Yeah, I didn't have much time for the military. I didn't have much time, but I didn't have much time for my fellow colleagues in the press either. I didn't have much time for me, so it was a mutual hate fest. <laughs> and to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. Well, that was great. That was great. Wow, was that great? It was. It was. We got to have him back again. He's great. We got we, we to have Chris back. And, like you know, his experience is so relevant to so many different things that are going on in, in society right now, from the revival of the war on terror to, or at least to, to that ideology, right? Um, right, because it never stopped, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Or the uh, it coming back into fashion again. Yeah. Um, but the to, from that to the you know this is sort of problem with the collapse of trust in media. I think he was one of the first people who who was on the front lines of what what happened to the modern newsroom. You know, he got bounced out of the Times essentially for being right about Iraq. And the and the Times is an institution I think sort of systematically. Uh, underestimated how badly that damaged his reputation. Maybe not specifically just with him, but how badly it screwed up yeah. Iraq, you know? So that there's that thing. And so it's it's really interesting to hear him talk. Yeah, it is. He's a great speaker, great writer. Everyone should check out that piece, um, which we barely scratched the surface of, but it's a great piece at uh, Sheer Post. Very uh, much looking forward to, to reading his book too. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. The evil yeah. we do is the evil we get. Yeah. Also, R.I.P. Norm, R.I.P. Norm Macdonald. Yeah, R.I.P. Norm Macdonald. And Michael K. Williams. And Mike, oh my God, friend of show, Michael K. Williams. Yeah, that was so sad. That was that so was sad. really rough. I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, yeah, he talked yeah. about his, you know, his struggle with addiction on our interview. Yeah, he talked about it openly on other interviews, but he was so nice. Like, yeah. okay, we, I didn't know him that well. We interviewed him once. But he was so kind and humble and he was like apologizing. You can see an in interview for like the background noise. He was just, uh, why can't we switch them out? You know, what's so uh, Kissinger. He was amazing because, you know, that that character of Omar was such a he was so far from what he yeah. was as, as, as an actual person. Like yeah. it just shows you what a great actor he was yeah. that he was what able range. to pull off because you liked Omar. Omar was a very likable character. But he was like ruthless and violent, yeah. and you know, and and uh, and you know, he just he was a uh, he was unbelievable. He created he created yeah. something really iconic, and he was a really terrific person. And it's really sad that uh, what happened. Cared about you know incarceration, and there's actually at the very beginning of the interview, I asked him about his political consciousness, and he's like, I don't, I struggle with that word being tied to that word political. I'm just I'm just someone from my community, investing in my community. And the great resource in my community, which is the youth. I mean, a lot of the people who were were the cast members of that show, I think, ended up becoming activists in yeah. one form or another. You know, right. especially about the criminal justice system, because 
uh, and they started to see the, the show as being you know a way to teach people about what was going on and, the, and you know and he was he was a big part of what was uh, a, a rare high achievement in modern television history you know yeah, yeah it's really it's really sad it's uh, so sad so condolences to his family yeah so guys may may or may not know we're kind of obsessed with charles jake on the show journalist was there in the in iraq wilson you want to set it up because you found it the only Matt Wilson is 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 obsessed with Char- we're all obsessed with Charles Jaco, but Matt Wilson is especially obsessed. Is that a fair uh, characterization? I think that's I think that's exactly the right way to put it. Yes, extra obsessed. So tell us what you found on Charles Jaco. I was week. doing I was doing my usual research for <laughs> Jaco of the week, and I found this X Men comic, and there's no it's nowhere else on the internet, but it has to be him, right? It's Charles Jaco reporter. It looks like him. He's got the same mustache and the hair and the whole setup from when we saw him with his hands on his right. hips. Uh, wow. Wait, so this is this is an X-Men comic? This is X-Men Volume 2 from 1992. Oh, like this is a real X-Men comic. Okay, yes. I was like, of course it's him. It says him, but you're saying... All right, I'm going to buy that comic. Yeah, we got to <laughs> sign it. He has to sign it. Matt, Matt, make sure you make, make sure you send me that copy, uh, the, the, the tweet or send me that link so that I can... I'm going to go grab that somewhere from eBay or whatever. Maybe yeah, we, we should have, instead, remember John Stewart used to do Moment of Zen? We should have our Moment of Jacko. <laughs> where are we? Where are we getting to with our inner Jacko? Just show a Jacko, Jacko related media clip. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I, yeah. I, I, I got to get that, that uh, trench coat. Yeah. See that? See, see what he's yeah, wearing? Oh, yeah, there? Oh, big that's, time, that's yeah. very, it's kind of like, it's like Blade Runner meets Arthur Kent. I kind of like it. It has a kind of Ninja Turtles feel to it also. Also, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I bought an exact replica recently of the Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, Sherlock Holmes jacket. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. Yeah. But it, I, I think I'd prefer to have something like that. So we and and Wilson, you, you were encouraging. You wanted us to ask people to make that version of us. It, I would do it, but I can't draw. I want yeah. I want an X-Men useful idiots and Charles Jaco all together Avengers yes. style fighting. What it comes down to is we we want some we were hoping somebody with artistic talent out there could do an X-Men style comic with uh Katie and me and Charles Jaco all together either in combat or uh I don't know doing something. In, in khaki on khaki. Yeah, there should be khaki on khaki involved. That was what involved. it was, right? That was yeah. Also, I want to put I would like to request um, a, uh, a sketch of the armed penguin that we're going to be driving. Oh, the pa- the, the, the pangolin. Pangol- sorry, pangolin, the armed the pangolin. Ar- ar- armored. Armored. Oh, yes. Although yeah. now I like the idea of a, of a, a pangolin packing heat. But yes, we want a, a sketch of the armored of me and Matt in the armored pangolin taking aim. What is it? Covid pellets? Yeah, I mean, it would be Pfizer executives think about the battle scene on the ice planet Hoth, the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. Remember those big walker things, right? Except there would be uh, pangolins. It would be a pangolin. Yeah. Right. COVID pellets, which you can represent however you want. Yeah. Yeah, we leave it to you. And then Luke Skywalker would fly around their little pangolin legs and tilt them them over. But yeah, we would love to see that a drawing of that as well. So yeah. And uh, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you on Monday morning. Thank you so much. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Please subscribe on Substack and subscribe on YouTube. Substack, YouTube, 
youtube.com slash useful idiots useful idiots.substack.com jesus that was impressive i yeah, could never do that yeah. hashtag well useful done. idiots pod and at useful idiot pod on twitter hashtag impressed hashtag thank you all right we'll see you next week right. great bye Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.